Well, good morning, everybody. John chapter 17. If you have a Bible, if you'd open there. John chapter 17. We actually got a lot to cover this morning in the Word. That's a big passage this morning, so I want to jump right there. If you're here this morning for the first time, welcome. We're so glad you're here. I see a lot of new faces, and uh, welcome to Conduit. Conduit is a church uh, for you, and uh, even though it's your first time here, or fourth time here, or third time here, or hundredth time here, I don't know if that's possible. Yeah, I guess that'd be possible. Um, We're a newer church, so I had to do the math there for a second. I'm slower at math, so that is possible. Um, It's your church, and we're happy that you're here. Um, We... uh, I want to start out with a word of prayer, and I want to just spend a few moments as we read through John 17. This is uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer in his final moments here on this earth. Uh, He prayed a prayer to his Father, God the Son, prayed to God the Father, and it was overheard by one of his disciples, the disciple that Jesus loved. John, and uh, I think, (laughs) I would argue maybe this is why uh, Jesus was like, ah, I love that guy. It's because he actually uh, heard that and recorded that, um, this precious and intimate moment um, between him and his father, this long prayer. Any long prayers in the room? Okay, you won't admit it. Um, Long prayers, uh, God loves you. but let's, let's do that. Let's just spend a moment in prayer. Not just me praying, but would you pray uh, in your own heart, in your own mind? Would you ask the Lord to open your own mind, your own heart, that you would be willing, ask God to speak to you, that your heart would be raw, your ears would be open? Let's do that. Father, we know and believe you are real. We believe you hear us. We believe, as Jeremiah said, that you've created the heavens and the earth with your outstretched arm, and there is nothing too hard for you. So hearing our prayer right now is quite simple and easy. And Jesus, you have made a way through the cross and your sacrifice of your life and your blood that was shed and our faith in that blood being shed and the forgiveness and the atonement of our sins for our prayers to be heard by your Father. Holy Spirit, you dwell and reside in this temple our body. You give us power and comfort and direction. And you help us divide truth. 
So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, I ask this morning in your trinity and your power that you would speak to us this morning. We are weak. We are finite, but you are infinite. You are holy, and we are made holy because of you, Jesus. And as Billy said, we may have come in with nothing left to give, feeling empty and broken and lost, with no answers, in need of rest, in need of you. God, I think if we're honest, it's all of us. And sometimes, God, we come into these moments wanting all the answers, all the joy, (laughs) all the fixes. But God, may we come into this moment recognizing that all we need is oneness. Oneness. So God of all, I pray over this body this morning, I pray for oneness. That they would realize that oneness has already happened and can happen by faith in your son, Jesus. That oneness can happen now through the gospel. But this morning, God, as we talk about oneness in the church, oneness with each other, that we would have this gentle openness to know what that means, to understand what that means, and a willingness to carry that out. You didn't, you didn't say or pray that, that the world needed to be one. You, you, you were talking about your followers, your church, this church. So God, I pray that over conduit this morning, that in the name of Jesus, that we would be one. Not just unified under truth, but unified in your love. Unified as one body, moving, being, living. Not unified just under a vision, but unified in the same way that you are unified with your Father, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So Jesus, here in John 17, actually believed that oneness would be life-changing. And he still does. Let's take a look. Uh, If you would bear with me, hopefully you will uh, get your thinking caps on this morning and that you will kind of dive into this idea because it is a, it's a simple concept, but I could stand up here and I could just talk to you about oneness and how we need to be one and how the church needs to be one. Um, But I think it's also important, and I think I can make a pretty good case for that, but I think it's uh, of utmost importance as a preacher of the word 
to ultimately preach the word. Amen? And I think that you should be more than just a hearer of the word. I think that we should uh, ultimately see the word. You should know the word. It shouldn't just be, okay, I went to conduit and I heard this. Um, you, you should know this as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian. You shouldn't just, like, well, this is what I was told. You shouldn't just be able to repeat, well, I shouldn't do this and I should do this as a Christian. You should know good and well how you became a Christian, what it means to be a Christian, and be able to, even for yourself, not for just a good debate, just to be able to show in your own life, for yourself. Like, if you got washed up on an island with nothing but you and all the food you could eat in a Bible, for you to search the scriptures and know why you believe what you believe. Um, and so, all that to say, let's look at John 17. In Jesus' long, lengthy prayer, as the food gets cold, so to speak. <laughs> uh, there's this running joke in our house. Um, it's not a joke at all, but I think God laughs at this. Um, when dinner's ready and the food is steaming and the kids take turns to pray, depending on the level of hunger, the kids volunteer certain other kids to pray. <laughs> if you catch my drift. <laughs> and I won't say who is who, but some kids pray quick. <laughs> and uh, that means we eat quicker. And I think God understands. <laughs> but this is not a quick prayer. Jesus is praying literally to his father. He's having a conversation. That's all prayer is. You're here today. You're, you're like, all right, I'm at church for the first time. This is a bit scary. Everybody's singing. Everybody's got this thing called the Bible. I don't know where, jo who's John? I have no idea where to start. I have no idea what to do. And I'm saying prayer, and it may, this may be what you are thinking. Prayer is simply this. It's you talking to God. Jesus has made a way. God, God is holy. And there's nothing that we could ever do to become holy on our own. The gospel changes it all for us. And the gospel is defined by this. The gospel is defined by Jesus dying for our sins, making a way for us to talk and be with God forever. That's the gospel. Gospel plus our good works is not the gospel. The gospel plus anything... Uh, for us to be with God is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus' blood shed for us. Our faith in that gives us access to the Father. So when we pray, it's not because of how good we pray. When we pray, it's not because of great words or how long our prayers or how short our prayer is or how we said this or that. Our prayer is because Jesus has given us access. He's unlocked the door and flung it wide. No, he's knocked down the wall for us to talk no, 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 no. Jesus took away the idea that there was a wall. Jesus came and lived. No, 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 no. Jesus has sent his spirit to come live inside of us. To reside inside of us. So that we would understand what it's like to know and be with God. And so when we pray, he knows our heart. He understands our heart, and he wants us to do the same with him. 
And so when you pray, he hears your prayer um, based on your faith and trust in him and your salvation and what Jesus did on the cross in that moment that you decide to trust in him and salvation. So when Jesus is talking to his father in prayer, he's just talking. And it goes like this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, verse 1, Father, the hour has come. You can follow in in your Bible or on the screen, either one. Glorify your son. The son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom have given him. Verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. Hear that. The only true God. In Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Notice the rooted confidence of Jesus at the end of his life, at 33 years, to be able to have the boldness to say to God, his Father, that I finished the work that you gave me to do. He was perfect. He didn't say he was perfect, even though he was spotless, blameless. But he said, I finished, accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence. That his glory is coming from the Father. And that your glory that I had with you before you, that the world, before the world existed. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom I have given, who I gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they, now they know that everything you have given me is from you. He came as Jesus. He came as the Son of God. But he, here he's speaking as, I came as a representative of my Father. As an ambassador of my Father. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I have came from you. Who is he talking about specifically? Is he talking about the majority or the minority? Is he talking about maybe just a dozen or a handful? He's talking about a very, very select few. The disciples, maybe, maybe a couple hundred people. Uh, maybe a few thousand that have really received the message. At this point, a true revolution is, is rising, but it's at this point a quiet revolution. Um, or, or maybe perhaps it's so quiet that it might just be a handful. It might just be the disciples and a few followers besides them. Verse 9, I am praying for them. I am praying for the world, but those whom... Whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one. 
that they may be one, even as you and I are one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them have been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and that the world has hatred has, has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I have consecrated myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Verse 20. I do not ask for those only, but also for those who, have, who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory, that, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. In them, and you, and me, that they may become perfectly one. Are you getting the picture here? He keeps repeating this, this idea that I want them, I want these disciples, I want these followers, I want my church, I want this church to be one as you, Father, and I are one. I love this conversation here. You guys, we're over and over and over in the Gospels, it shows how Jesus departed and he went up into the mountain to pray. Or he parted and he went into the garden or he went to a, a place, a quiet place and he prayed. You've seen this over and over and over. But here's that moment, this recorded moment where it shows what that conversation was like. Wouldn't you love to know? Wouldn't you love to see what that conversation was like? Well here, here it is. What is that conversation like? It's this conversation back and forth about their, their, um, their giving and love to one another. Obviously, you're only hearing one side of the conversation. So now you have an idea of what prayer is like even, even for Jesus. Even for Jesus. See, even as 100% God and 100% man, he took on the limitations of man. So John was hearing this prayer. John was hearing this prayer from a human standpoint. Just as you hear the prayer from a human standpoint. Wouldn't it be awesome to actually have a two-way conversation with God when you pray? Wouldn't we pray more if like you could literally walk over and talk to God and like actually hear back? But isn't it a little bit more difficult when you're praying and there are times where you're like, I, it, it feels like a one-way conversation? But I don't, when I read this, I'll be, I'll be honest, I don't get the impression that no one is talking back to Jesus. I get the impression that there is this deep intimacy happening. 
If not just in this moment, but from the beginning of time. And for all eternity. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, that they may be one. This, this is the point. Jesus actually believed that their oneness could be life-changing. And he still does. He still does. So unity and oneness. That's really what I want to talk about today. And why is unity and oneness in the church, in our, our lives as Christians, why is that so difficult? Why is that so difficult? Um, one of my favorite questions to ask people, since I remember, I even remember asking this question when I was like in high school. But one of my favorite questions to ask people um, is this. If you were stuck on an island with five people and, uh, like, don't worry about the logistics. I mean, don't worry about food or uh, smoke monsters or, like, Sawyer or other crazy things. Just, like, you're stuck on an island and you got endless food and it's just you're going to be there for a long, long, long time. Decades. Who would the five people be? Who would you be stuck there with? You could pick five people, and I usually say it cannot be your spouse, which some of y'all, some of y'all are like, oh shoot, I didn't pick them. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it can't be your family, it can't be your kids, can't, and, it, and it, you can only pick one person that has passed on before, all right? This obviously is, is just fantasy. It's not, it's not reality, all right? Um, all right, so depending on where you're at in life, uh, you're going to pick different people. Um, I love this question. It really reveals a lot about different people, um, or reveals a lot about uh, the specific person. Now, I think the way I would answer now, I would change the rules for sure. Now, obviously, I would pick, like, I would absolutely change the rules and I'd pick my wife but if I if you if you if you made up the rules and I wasn't allowed to pick my wife and I could pick five people I would definitely pick my five children these are my five children um if you don't know them uh these are them okay I would pick these five because they are I would literally be dying laughing for decades at these guys. Uh, this is Dalen in the middle, and to the right, it's Declan and Eden, AKA me minus a beard and a six-year-old girl. Um, and then Zion, and then everybody knows Mabel. Everybody knows Mabel. Now, these would be the five that I would pick for sure. Now, what's so amazing about this as their dad is, um, and, and I would love to know what your, your five are. And obviously, you can text me this later. And it can be famous people. And if you don't pick your kids, I won't judge you, okay? Because I'm on a stage, if I didn't say my kids, you'd judge me. So, all right, we, you could say, like, Elvis and all kinds of other people, all right? I know that's who my mom would pick. Um, <laughs> um, so... Anyways, these would be my five people. Now, here's my thing. 
Here's what I'm concerned about, though. I'm concerned about, on this island, like, how big is this island? Because, in fact, my wife's family owns, or like, her family and a couple other families, they own this, this island in Canada on this lake. Her great-grandpa got this little tiny rock island, and it's so fun to go to, but it is, it's like literally this rock on this island. It sounds really cool, but like after you're there about six hours, you're like, all right, let's go. Let's go back home, right? And it's, it looks really cool, and it sounds really fun, but once you're there, it's like, all right, right? So when I'm thinking about this question, I'm thinking about the reality of some where my summers have been at times um, for about two and a quarter days. Um, but as we're there, this is what I'm thinking about logistically. How are these guys going to get along? How are these guys, because I've been in a car with these guys every day, and how, <laughs> how is oneness and unity going to happen with this? How's this going to happen? Right? Um, it's not. It's not. It's going to be a challenge, right? And as I walk through the dynamics of their, even just the uniqueness of their personalities, and even though you may see them as they're just a bunch of little Corys or little Brianne's or whatever, like they may all look similar to you. To me, they, are, they couldn't be more diverse. They're so diverse to me. They're, they're like different worlds to explore. But their diversity, in my opinion, is what makes them such a beautiful opportunity to be unified. I would argue, I'm going to repeat that again, but I, I want you to get that. And this is the point of where I'm going today. Their diversity doesn't divide them. I would actually argue it's, it's because they're so different. As a father, that excites me to want to bring them together. As a father, as a shepherd of their heart, as I'm raising them up, nothing makes them, like nothing makes Brian and I more stressed and crazy than to see them fight and bicker. And if you're a parent, you understand this. You want to see your kids get along. You, you want to see them love one another. And honestly, when you see them, like, loving each other, you're like, oh, my goodness, I love love. <laughs> Especially the boys. Like, girls, like, what? I mean, dude, I'm experiencing the girls, like, that. I didn't have sisters growing up, so that's like a whole nother world for me. Um, It's like one minute the girls are like, oh, look at, let's play, we're going to dolly, and like, oh, we're going to love, we're going to feed it a little bottle, and literally walk in 12 seconds later, and they got the baby, like, baby doll by the head and the foot, and they're like, they're like playing tug of war with the baby, screaming at each other, right? But the boys, like, they just, they're like, they're brute, and they're like fighting, like, fists are thrown, and they're just crazy with one another, right? But as parents, like, there's nothing we want more than to see oneness, unity with our kids. 
This is the best way to describe that conversation in John 17. Do you understand? Jesus, different dynamic, obviously. Same heart. Jesus and his father, Jesus was getting ready to leave. He said, I just spent 33 years on this earth and I walked these guys in the ministry and we're, we're like leaving the keys of all of it to these guys and, and like it's, it's all, like I've accomplished everything that you've asked me to do and like I just wanted them to know you and, and it's you and me and I and you and like I want them to love, like and it's as if God, it's as if God the father is like, yes, I know. I want them, I want them to love one another the way that I love you, son. I want them to feel the same love that I have for you, son. That's real. That's intimate. Um, There's this book. <clears throat> that's quite controversial, and I don't really care, and that's not the point of why I'm bringing it up, but it's called The Shack. Um, there's a book, and there's actually a movie about it. Um, if you've got an opinion about it, hold your theological tushies to the side. There's a point in this book, because um, that's not the point of where I'm going, but there's a, there's a part in this book um, where um, the, there's a human uh, figure of God the Father God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, where they're sitting at a table um, in human form. And they're having breakfast. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And uh, a person is observing this breakfast happening between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they're describing what this breakfast looks like. And they're describing this extravagant conversation of, ex- of exchange between the conversation between the three of them. And all it is, uh, how they're trying to outdo one another with love. Can I pass you this? Can I get you more of this? Oh, it's so good to see you this morning. It's just this constant love conversation of lifting one another up. Think about that. Think about that in, in the realm of, of the actual, the best book, the truth, God's word. And the character and the nature of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you see it right here in the prayer between, in John 17. You see that, that heart and that character. God the Father is lifting up the Son in his nature and his character and what he has accomplished. But you see God the Son lifting up his Father. And you see that intimacy. You see that oneness is in that lifting of one another up. That oneness happens in lifting others up. That oneness happens in encouraging others up. Let me read a quote um, by Dan Allender. He says, in this love, uh, he says, bold love is courageously setting aside our personal agenda to move humbly into the world of others with their well-being in view. Willing to risk further pain in our souls in order to be an aroma of life. Think about that for a moment. It's a big one. 
Bold love in your life. Bold love is courageously. It's setting aside our own personal agenda and moving humbly into the world of others with their well-being in view, willing to risk further pain in our souls in order to be an aroma of life. Now, is that difficult for God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit to do for one another? Not necessarily, because they're perfect, right? And what Jesus, was it hard, but back to reality, was it hard for Jesus to do that with his disciples? Yes! Yes! Where did I spend my whole last week talking about? Those disciples, they were hard to love. Our lives in the church, our lives as Christians, our lives on the island, whoever you put on that island, our lives with our family, our lives with our coworkers, our lives with our friends. Sometimes there are people that are just, they need extra, extra, extra love. Read all about it. Like they need it. It's more difficult to love them. But that bold love is courageously setting aside our personal agenda of what we think will change them or us changing them or them just getting it. They need to just change. They need to like, they need to change their mind. They need to change what they think about this and they need to do this. Set aside your personal agenda and move humbly into the world of who they are and for their well-being and view. Willing to risk further pain in our souls in order to be an aroma of life for them. How does this play out in the church? How does this play out in the church? Some of you guys are maybe at this point kind of checked out because you feel like this, this may not apply to you. You, you feel like, let me, just, let me just pour some salt on, on a wound for a moment. Some of you, and let me exhort you for a moment. Some of you don't feel like this applies to you because you feel like you don't, you can come into a room and you feel like um, everything is good. You're comfortable. You're at a place where, all right, everything is good for me. Everything is comfortable for me. I think the true litmus test is where we have to look around and see the people in our lives. Where are we at in relationship to the people in our lives? Can we look around in a room like this, in our own church? Can we look around at the local church, other churches in the city? Can we look around at the church? And is there any residual bitterness, resentment in our heart towards anybody in God's church? And if there is, then this does apply to us. Because Jesus asked us, he, no, Jesus, we overheard a conversation between Jesus and his father and his prayer that he was asking his father is that, that, that we would be one. Not one except for that like really bad situation or that, that we'd be one except for like that really bad person or like, well, they just got to really get their act together. That's a really bad thing that they're doing. Or that's just, no, 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 no. 
He asked us to be one. It does not change the truth of Scripture. Every bit of Scripture. Now, it doesn't change a word. But he's asking us in the meantime, in relationship, to be, to be one. How? Just as the Father and the Son are one. I think this gets, uh, we get a little bit into the weeds when we start getting to the nitty gritty of uh, our own situations of where th this gets a little bit difficult. And I'm not going to get too much into the weeds in that. But I think this is where, as I prayed at the beginning, this is where the Holy Spirit comes into play for you. This is where um, the Holy Spirit begins, will reveal that for you. And, and that's my prayer for you this morning because it's very, very different for each one of us. Because there are, there are certain relationships that we have that um, for me to take the time at this point to speak into, um, it, it would be maybe inappropriate to do that for someone else. And so that's where I'm going to challenge you as a follower of Christ in the church to ask for the Holy Spirit's discernment and direction on that particular uh, relationship. Um, I want to I point out just two quick things before we, um, before we close. Um, back to, back to my, my kids for a second. I want to imagine that like, it's, it's, it's easy to point out, it's easy to like use them as an example when they're like young and fun and cute and like they do funny things and they make funny noises and blah, blah, blah. But imagine they grow. They grow up, they're, they're like young adults and they have their own agendas, they have their own thoughts, they have their own opinions and, and um, their own lives and whatnot. I, I will still, and some of you parents that have kids this age, you're like, you just wait, man. <laughs> like, just wait. Uh, I know that as a father, I will still desire that. I will still desire that for my kids. I will still desire for them to be one, to have oneness, to be unified, as Father God desires for us to be one as a church. But imagine if one of those kids decided to want to pit themselves, pit another kid against me, or, or, or like tried to character assassinate another brother or sister to me. Like they tried to, they, they had something against their brother or sister, and they tried to use me as a pawn to, to do that. And, and you older, you parents that, are, that have older kids, you've probably never been in a situation like this. Like, you've never been in a spot where they've tried to use you as a pawn. I, I bet that's never happened, right? Um, it puts you in a difficult spot because you love both kids so much. And, and it's, it'd be easy to look at one kid's behavior versus the other kid's behavior and see one, hello, prodigal son. It'd be really easy to look at the prodigal son and be like, yo, bro, this kid has never left home. He's been faithful to the farm. He's never left. He showed up to work every day. He's been respectful every day. And meanwhile, this other kid, he like, took, he like disrespected me. He took 
half of what I owned that I was supposed to give him when I died, I'm still like breathing, like I'm good to go, man. Like he's looking at he left and he squandered, and I haven't seen him or heard him from him since. As a father sitting on my front porch every night, dreaming and hoping for him to come home, and I'm seeing my other kid come home every night after working, it'd be really easy for me to look at those two sons' behavior and say, meh. But what did the prodigal father do? He did not do that. And my guess, because I'm not there, my guess is you parents that are in that spot, my guess is you probably do the same as that prodigal father. Your heart is probably very similar. Your heart is probably very similar to God the Father. He does see your stuff. He does see your behavior. But his heart for you is so much bigger. He sees something beyond your behavior. He sees who you are as a son, as a daughter. He sees your identity. God the Father sees your identity as a son or as a daughter beyond what you've done. This is the thing. Church, I'm talking to you, believers, those that have asked Jesus to save them, those that have received salvation, those that have, that have follow, are followers of, of Christ this morning, I'm talking to you. If you've done that, you are a father or excuse me, you are a son or daughter. Hebrews 6 talks about a father disciplines his son because he loves him. Listen. Listen to me. This is important. He knows what we've done. But his heart for you is so much greater than that. That he's still wooing for you and the family to be so not ordinary that you'd be unified. Yeah, like, you're totally wrong, dude. <laughs> like, um, this is God's perspective. Like, yeah, what do you mean? Like, that's okay. Bro, that is so not okay. What are you talking about? Like, or what? How did you get out of, how did you get that out of that? Like, that's weird. Or like, how in the world? Like, yes, God's not like, God's not just this, like, I'm okay with that. I just love you guys. Yeah, man. I'm good with that. It's awesome now. I'm, I'm nice now. So like, yeah, I'm cool. No. God is still holy. But he's so good. He's a good, good father. And he's made provision for all of our sin. He's still sitting on the porch waiting for that son to come home. And guess what? That other son was just as lost. He was just lost in the house. He was just as far from the father's heart as the other son. Are you with it? Guys, come on. Like, this wasn't just about one. I'm sorry. I'm told my kids are going to have, have counseling when they get older. Oh, man. Um, like, the whole point of what I'm trying to say is that no ordinary unity, no ordinary unity that God wants for us is that you're stuck in like, well, he did that or they did. God's like, I don't care. Well, I do care, but like, I just want you to be one. He, he wants more than that. But like the big picture, the big umbrella over it all, like apologetics 
So important. Truth, important. My word, God's word, that's going to last forever. It won't return void. It'll change your life. It's boss, every word of it. Take it to the bank. But I want you, church, to be one. Uh, Debate it. Talk about it. Learn it. Memorize it. Know it. Preach it. Live it. Totally. But I want you to be one. It doesn't mean you throw it out. It doesn't mean you don't know what it says about this, that, or the other. It doesn't mean you got to step on it. How silly. Like, why do we, like, why do we, it's the best thing ever. ever. Why do we throw the baby out with the bathwater? Like, that is the best thing ever when it comes to this idea. No ordinary unity is this understanding that God, the Father, just as we with our kids, we want them to be one. And, and until we're one, he'll keep saying it. Why do you think? Think about it. And I'm, I'm going to be quiet. Why do you think the last thing Jesus did with his disciples, the beginning of the church, so to speak, was get them together and eat. Gathered them together to eat. It's like the one moment where you're like, all right, let's get together. It's what you do. You get together and eat. What, what do you think the first thing we get when we all get to heaven? And Jesus comes back and he gathers everybody together. We're like, what are we all going to do? We're going to gather at the marriage supper of the Lamb to celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus is going to get us all together for a big dinner. He's going to bring us back together again. It's easy to be unified when we're winning, but it's hard to be unified when we're losing. Yesterday, um, I lied. One story and, I'm, and I'll be done. Okay. Oh, I got all kinds of time. I had six more stories. Um, final story and I'll be done. Um, uh, it's hard to be. It's hard to be unified. It's hard to be unified when you are losing. Yesterday, uh, my two of my boys were in a soccer tournament in Edinburgh, at Edinburgh University, and uh, beautiful place. And uh, uh, there were teams from all over the place there. Fields just, it was it was crazy, and. Um, one son playing for the Frewsburg Soccer Club and one son playing for the Southern Tier Storm. And my one son, Declan, was playing for the Southern Tier Storm. And uh, we were there and he was playing with his friend, um, uh, Mathis Bear. With, I don't know if you know a guy named Jay Bear. He's a local pastor. And so he was hanging out with us for the day and we were kind of watching him because his dad had to leave. And the two of them were on a team and they're playing. So I was kind of watching both of them. They were losing two to one. So it's hard to be unified when you're losing. I'm pretty competitive. But I'm not like one of those crazy parents. I mean, partly because I like make fun of those crazy parents. Um, but I, inside, I'm like, like, you know. 
So I'm watching the game. They're losing 2-1. to one. There's got to be like just a few minutes left in the game. And um, I walked over to, I'm standing with all the parents that I barely know on this team. And uh, there's, it's tense because we're losing. And I make a joke. That was funny. And nobody laughed. That was my barometer. Like, all right, it's too tense. Put back the dad jokes. It's time. It's, no jokes right now. It's hard, to, it's hard to be unified when you're losing. So we're sitting there, and, like, it is. It's like a couple, they had a couple uh, shots on goal that were easy shots, and they missed them. And, like, I'm telling you, dads were like, come on. They were like. <laughs> My phone at this point is dead, but I'm like. <laughs> It got awkward. So then, uh, ball, the soccer ball goes down into the corner, and they chip it. All again, this is ten-year-olds, uh, so you don't see a lot of this at this age. It was unreal. They were down two to one. They were losing. The ball gets chipped all the way from the corner, like just this prayer shot, all the way from the corner. And Mathis Bear comes out of nowhere from midfield, comes over and takes the ball and just, the ball comes out of nowhere and he just heads the ball right into the goal, ties the game up, and the place goes nuts! Like, yeah! Like, everybody starts cheering. I'm like, yeah! Yes! Go, my favorite sports team, go! And, um, so then all of a sudden, the mood is, is changed. Like, any moment that, that referee is going to blow the whistle and the game is going to be done. And, dude, side note, little league parents, what is this idea with tied games? What is that garbage? Do paper, rock, scissors or something. Somebody's got to walk away crying. Somebody's got to lose. What is that? When did that start? Growing up, that never happened. Do a shootout or something. Tie game? We just drove two hours. Why are you doing a tie? It's like, that is ridiculous. Oh, we need a new president just for that. We could change that. Or go to Canada. No, they don't. Never mind. Anyways, so it's tied two to two. The game's going to end any moment, but it, like, woke the southern tier storm up. They were, like, they were just on fire now, and they were hustling like crazy. And about a minute later, we came down and scored another one to take the lead. And now we're up 3-2. I got hugged by a guy I barely knew. <laughs> like, <laughs> to, the, to the point where he knew, this, this gentleman knew, uh, Pastor Cameron, where he all of a sudden thinks I'm the good luck charm of why they're winning, and he's yelling at me profusely of why I can't be there for the game today, and, be, and I told him I couldn't be there because I have to preach, and he's like, get hobbly legs up here to preach today so that I could be there. <laughs> like, anyways, so here's the thing. It's hard to be unified when you're losing, 
But it's easy to be unified when you're winning. But here's the pitfall when you're losing. When, when it's, it, it, is, it is hard to be unified when you're losing, but, but here's the thing. There are times when you're losing, when it's hard, when you're suffering, when you're going through a time of suffering, and, and I know you can identify with this in your own life. There are times where it does bring you together. How many of you today in this church, don't raise your hand or anything, just in your own heart, answer, are suffering, are going through a hard time, Maybe you're anxious about something, fearful about something, depressed, um, just really struggling. Something in your family. You need to know that unity is hard when you're losing, but it's not impossible. But when it's, but when it it can't happen, it's possible. When you're losing. It can happen. And I would argue that is actually what, 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 when times of, when we're losing, that's what God is pressing us to. He's pushing us towards one another when we're suffering. That's what the church is about at times. When we are going through a hard times, he's pushing us closer to one another. He's asking us to lean in so that we can experience that warmth and closeness, that gospel community that we talk about. That we realize that we exist for one another. That's what that's about when we're losing. But unity is easy when we're we're winning. Unity is easy when we're winning. But here's the pitfall in that. (laughs) Unity is easy when we're winning. Hey, conduit, right now we're winning. The church is packed. The church is fun. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's happy. Great time, great day, right? Right? But here's the thing. Uh, At the end of that game, guess what happened? (laughs) I had to hear for like 20 minutes about whose fault or whose fault that was or why they won. All kinds of people fighting over who took credit of why everything was so great. So there's a pitfall in winning and there's a pitfall in losing. The point is not winning and losing. The point is unity. The point is oneness. Do you you see what I'm saying? So the whole idea for Jesus in that conversation was not about winning and losing. Obviously, there's no game to be played in that context. The whole point was oneness and unity. And I hope you get that this morning. Would you stand with me? pray. Father, thank you for making a way for us to be unified. God, I love the fact that it's easy for us to be 
together. God, it's, it's easy for us to focus on the good when things are good. And God, just as I shared at the beginning, with that example of the island, sometimes it's fun to dream about who we would be on an island with because um, sometimes it's easy to just cut away and say, you know what, I'm done, and, and I'm, I'm done, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to divide myself from all this. Unity is hard at times. It's easy to say that unity is great, but it's hard to live it out. It's easier to process and fantasize and think about, well, I'm just going to go away. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit coming to church because it's just, it's just easier to forsake coming. It's, it's just easier to be home. It's just easier to not get up. It's just easier to have my whole Sunday. It's just easier to not be engaged with this. It's just easier to not whatever. But may we not forget your desire. King of kings, Lord of lords. Your desire for us. Your prayer was for us to be one. So make us one in your name.